Welcome to another podcast episode of the Roundtable Community, where connecting inspiring minds is our core mission. Each week we have a topic, a featured expert, our panel, and a stage of questions from our live audience uh, online via the Clubhouse app and community. Your hosts today are Sandra Spencer in Melbourne, Australia, myself, Joma Reyes in Copenhagen, Denmark, and filling in for Simon Potter is Melissa Mattingly in San Diego, USA. In the last 20 minutes, we'll open up for questions and discussions with our live online audience. And in this episode, we explore neurodiversity, an alternative paradigm in looking at autism and how all brains are different, thinking, feeling, acting, behaving and working differently. Around one in 50 of us may be autistic. More of us, more than one in 50, are likely to be neurodiverse, atypical. How can we as humans navigate better the challenges of neurodiversity? So, Joma, what do you know about neurodiversity? Oh, well, that is such a good question because, you know, I, I have a, a very good friend with Asperger's um, uh, that I worked with for, for a few years, and, and that was rewarding and challenging. Um, and I also love the C series on Netflix called Atypical. So, I, honestly, I, I'm really looking forward to being educated a bit more on this topic. Oh, and how do you think society can better meet the challenges? I, do you know enough about it yeah, well, <laughs> to I, be able to? I think that's a part of our mission today. I mean, hopefully, um, you know, uh, people well, like I guess they will be able to educate us all and to be able to be more open and talk about things like mental health and neurodiversity instead of sweeping it under the rug or keeping it just to the small groups. So hopefully just getting involved uh, having it more in the general conversations we have in society, I, th I hope that that's, that's a solution. I think it's right when you link it with um, mental health. So when I came across the statistic that one in 50 of us um, are autistic, are likely to be, and there are more, th those people um, apparently um, can be very prone to suicide. So the other stats can be like, you know, Mm. Really, a very high percentage of of suicide, and then eighty percent, I think, for mental illness, and sixty percent for no employment or underemployment. So, yeah, it has a big knock on effect, mm. and so, yeah, it's interesting. And Melissa, so, um, what do you know about neurodiversity? Um, that I live it each and every day. Um, I myself do not know to myself to be on the spectrum, even though I've questioned it a few times, but um, I am an extremely highly ADD person. Um, I'm one of the space cadets, hi, um, and each and every day it impacts me, so I've had to look and in, look into things and be my own advocate, um, you know, in, especially inter-family and also within society as a whole, so it's uh, very close to my heart. Oh, yeah, no, interesting okay. stuff. So, uh, Sandra, can you fill us in on our um, special guest today? Yes, um, a warm welcome to Nicole Gosling. Nicole Gosling's business, Navigating Neurodiversity, offers peer support services to adults diagnosed with ADHD, advocacy and support to families with neurodiverse or ND members, and training to service providers with ND uh, with clients. Nicole was diagnosed only last year with ADHD as an adult. And before her ADHD diagnosis, as a mother, Nicole had gone on the journey of discovery and support for one of her children who also has a neuro, um, 
diversity diagnosis. So experiencing firsthand a gap in society's awareness, understanding, diagnosis, training and support of neurodiversity, Nicole leads others in navigating a neurodiverse world. So hi, hi, Nicole, welcome. Thank you, Sandra. What is neurodiversity for you? So um, the term neurodiversity was coined by an Australian sociologist in the late 1990s. And it was as a response to the um, medicalization and pathologizing of brains that don't work in the way society sees as typical. So neurodiverse encompasses um, autism, ADHD, dyspraxia, dyslexia, dysgraphia, um, dyscalculia. Some people also include uh, conditions such as OCD, anxiety, uh, depression, schizophrenia in there as well. Basically, if your brain is not, in inverted commas, normal, um, then you come under the neurodiversity umbrella. Uh, everyone in my family is neurodivergent in one way or another, both of my kids, my husband, me, uh, my sister. Um, I suspect my parents probably as well. But, um, yeah, so. Yeah, like, there's a lot of, I mean, that goes way beyond. Yeah, and that goes <laughs> way beyond. You, you, there's not one label or you can't put everything under um, autism because there's so many other different um conditions for diagnosis for the um, neurodivergent. Is that right? Yeah, so autism tends to be, autism and ADHD both tend to be the ones that get the most attention, um, perhaps because they are the most prevalent, um, they're the most well-known. Uh, they're probably also the ones people have the most preconceived notions about, but yeah, it, it is much broader than that. There's a lot of crossover. So a lot of autistic traits are found in people with ADHD. And in fact, a lot of people with ADHD are also autistic. But And a lot of autistic people also have ADHD. But the, um, the traits can mask each other, which uh, can make it a little bit difficult to sort out a diagnosis but it wow. is really really common if you have one neurodivergent condition to have another so it might be adhd and dyslexia it might be autism and dysgraphia uh but that is very common with so many different combinations it's really it's unique in itself in the fact that the way the brain is functioning is different but then the care uh, really needs a unique personalized um, attention for for um, programs I guess and pathways on on how to better deal with um, the conditions yeah absolutely and you know the saying goes if you've met one autistic person you've met one autistic person and that's true of uh of all of these conditions um you know our brains are highly individualized because they are a product of our environment as well as our genetics um uh we were chatting previously about brain plasticity and you know our, our environment really does determine um 
our brains, but the genetic structure is is set already. So, you know, it, it's a combination of so many factors and individual and personalised um, help when needed um, is absolutely vital to us doing our best. So in terms of like, um, how did you, you're diagnosed as an adult um, with ND, so take us back to the beginning of that journey and um, has it made a difference? So it started with my kids. So both of my kids were diagnosed as autistic. Um, the first, uh, just around her eighth birthday and um, the second just the day before her sixth birthday. So we just got in for the the early intervention funding that they had at the time um, with her. So they were both diagnosed autistic. But with the with my younger child, I thought there is something else going on here. Autism itself doesn't explain all of the issues that she's having and the difficulties that she is having. Um, so I went back to her psychologist and said, uh, there's something else here. I think it might be ADHD. Can you do an assessment? So we had the assessment done. And as part of that, I was looking into how ADHD presents in women and girls. And it started ringing bells for me. Um, and, you know, it was like someone turned a light on. I was like, this is me. This explains why I am the way I am, why I have problems with, you know, keeping my room tidy <laughs> like a teenager, um, why there are days where, you know, having a shower is the most challenging thing I can do that day, why I have a string, you know, a trail miles long of unfinished and abandoned hobbies um you know so many things why I would start an assignment my very first university assignment was due 3 p.m I started it at 9 p.m 9 a.m that morning handed it in and um and received a h2a for it so um that's kind of like a b plus for people who <laughs> <laughs> don't understand that um it's why it's why my brain works that way and it took a while for like it was another couple of years before I got my GP to refer me to um a psychiatrist uh I was very lucky in that the psychiatrist I was referred to had no waiting list I could see her straight away and she was very happy based on my knowledge and on the assessment she did to diagnose me and start me on medication. Um, so I started medication. I was quite hesitant about it. I didn't love the idea of taking medication, but um, I took it for two days. And then on the third day, I didn't take it because we get this imposter syndrome. Do I really have ADHD? You know, is this just a placebo effect? What's going on? I didn't take it. And I cried because my brain was so noisy. When I am not on stimulant medication, I get like a, it feels like a buzzing, like there's a swarm of bees in my brain and those bees are all ideas and thoughts. 
and all sorts of things going on. Um, (laughs) So I cried because I'm like, how did I deal with this for 45 years? I thought it was normal and it wasn't. So, yeah, the diagnosis for me was absolutely, well, it was literally life-changing. And so, like, you noticed a difference in your in the way you were able to think and feel and and behave and the yeah the every day. So, I was <laughs> I was able to walk into the kitchen, do the thing in the kitchen that I wanted to do, and walk out of the kitchen again. Now, that may not sound revolutionary, but um, I'm sure Melissa can tell you that's massive. <laughs> <laughs> because normally I would get distracted by so many things like, oh, while I'm here, I might get a drink. Oh, there are no clean glasses. I need to load the dishwasher, <laughs> you know? Um, so easily, yeah, like just, yeah, easy, just, yeah. Wow. So lack of um, lack of focus. But then you can have hyper-focus. So in an earlier conversation um, before the room, you were talking about how you could paint you could do your artwork for like eight hours when maybe there were other things you could have been doing yeah so last year um during the first lockdown in melbourne i started digitally drawing um on the ipad and there were days where i would start at about 10 a.m my husband would come home at 5 p.m and i wouldn't have stopped (coughs) excuse me um and you know, I can do that with painting or with playing the ukulele, even to my own physical detriment, um, because I don't, I don't comprehend the passing of time. Wow. And so in terms of like, so an ND diagnosis, you know, it's worked in your favour, you went on medication, that's something that is like um, individualised and, 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 and it's worked uh, for you. Um, what what lessons do you take away with that that you now bring into your business when you work with others? Like what, what were some lowlights and highlights with some things you could have done differently on that journey? Um, did you need more support? Is there enough support today? When you go looking for information about ADHD, it is almost exclusively about children and the same with autism. Um, there's a lot out there for parents, how to deal with your child with ADHD. Um, And it almost always frames that child as a problem uh, for the parents. Uh, And with autism, often in autism, you know, autism parent spaces, there's a tragedy narrative that poor you, your child has autism. Um, And that's not what I was looking for. There are communities on Twitter, on Instagram, on, on TikTok and YouTube um, where adults with ADHD and adult autistics are um, producing amazing content, um, which really speaks to people's experiences rather than, um, you know, the diagnostic criteria, which is more about external observations of behaviours. But it's hard to access if you don't know where to look for it. So what I really... The, the the need I saw was for women like me who may not be quite as savvy at, you know, at social media and finding that information on social media um, to have a resource or people who are 
thinking maybe I should get diagnosed but I'm not really sure or I don't know what the process is or I don't want to spend the money or I can't afford to spend the money until I find out whether it's actually something I should really think about or not. I can be a peer supporter to them because I've been there. And this is like, from your experience, this has been life-changing, you know, for you personally and for um, your, your children. Absolutely. Absolutely for my children because I have learned to understand how their brains work better, how they communicate, and they're both very different. They They may have they may both have an autism diagnosis and, you know, under the way the criteria is, they're classed as level one, <clears throat> which previously would have been high functioning, although we don't use functioning labels anymore. They are ableist and problematic, um, which, you know, it may seem like their difficulties should be quite small, but there are areas in which they both have extreme difficulties now you know for my oldest is 14 you know for the sake of their privacy I don't want to go into their specific difficulties but they're both very different and there are times when they function quite well and there are times when they don't function very well at all having the opportunity to learn more about that and to understand my brain how my brain is different to their brain um And also, you know, they understand that I have ADHD. My oldest one goes, oh, you blame ADHD for everything. But my younger one, she also has ADHD, so she understands. And, you know, if I'm like, oh, it's just too hard to do this thing, right? And she's like, yes. And she knows that I get it. So I'm not yelling at them to put their socks on in the morning if, you know, if it's been a high demand morning, I'm not screaming, get in the car, put your socks on, like I used to, because <clears throat> I understand what's going on for them. And so how can you describe, like, understanding more about yourself with your ND diagnosis and the support that you've got and, you know, now that you work with other people, it's an ongoing journey that you're passing on from what you've learned and you're still learning um, because we're just continually learning as we go on. What um, characteristics about yourself have you really embraced a lot more? Like I know that you've taken up the ukulele. I mean, is there any behaviours or patterns where you've like fully allowed yourself to be more free with your neurodiversity and who you are and that's brought out more of a superpower of who you are as a human being? Oh, interesting question. Um, One thing I have done, now this is not quite answering your question, but one thing I have done is I have allowed myself to let go of a lot of the guilt and shame that I had over things that are difficult for me. So, for example, um, If I don't respond to a text message straight away, I'm never going to respond to it Um, or it'll take three weeks and then I'll feel guilty about it and won't respond to it because I feel guilty and ashamed that I didn't get to it. Um, So I tell everyone I have ADHD. I'm in the privileged position to be able to do that without any financial repercussions or, you know, any. It's good for your business. It's good for your business. Um, But, you know, I'm I'm not working for someone who can hold that against me. A lot of people aren't in that position that I'm in. They're not that lucky. 
Um, but if I'm working with someone, I will say, I have ADHD. So if you need this done by Friday, please send me a reminder on Thursday. Um, so what that does is it frees me from the guilt of, oh, I forgot to do the thing. Um, it also means they're reminding me so I will do the thing and I don't then get passive aggressive messages saying, did you do that thing that you were meant to do? Which then triggers my rejection sensitive dysphoria and causes me to hide and be even less likely to do the thing and less likely to answer their emails or, you know, text messages or phone calls or whatever it is. So by making other people aware of my limitations, um, managing their expectations and um, managing my expectations of myself, I've really been able to let go of that guilt and shame. I know how my brain works. I know, you know, if if someone tells me to do something, I'm very likely to do the opposite. Uh, and I just tell people that now. So um, it's, you know, it's, it makes it easier for me to work with other people if they understand that about me and are okay with it. And most people are. Most people will say, yeah, no worries. I'll send you a reminder on Thursday. Mm. This is the uh, Roundtable Community Podcast Series produced via the um, Clubhouse app. Um, we are with uh, Nicole Gosling talking about neurodiversity in society. Um, Nicole, some great, great insights you're sharing with us there. Um, my question, and as a fellow creative uh, and, and musician, I've got to ask, is, is there a link with creativity and neurodiversity? Is one causal or do they just go hand in hand or is it because there are so many ideas that are firing off that it opens up new creative avenues, if you know what I mean? Um, I'd be very hesitant to claim causality, um, but certainly a lot, of, a lot of neurodivergent people are very creative. A lot of neurodivergent people are not very creative. <laughs> um, we're all individuals. So, but... I think uh, people with ADHD in particular um, often have the capacity to think outside the box, as it were, to see solutions which other people may not see. Um, we, often, <laughs> we often understand things quicker um, and then get frustrated when we have to wait for everyone else to to catch up to the point that we're at um, and this isn't you know this isn't everybody but this is a, a common experience from you know a lot of people I've spoken to um, so and also because we we go through these periods of hyper focus and you know um, in in autism people call it a special interest in ADHD it's hyper focus but some people see it as the same thing. Some people see it as different. Um, with ADHD, we tend to have a trail of them that, you know, we, we do and then drop off. So that means we might go through a lot of creative hobbies or our hobbies may not be creative. They may be very kind of practical. Um, 
So I think the capacity is there in terms of the way we can pay really close and deep attention to things, um, which, you know, it contradicts the name ADHD. We don't actually have a problem paying attention. We have a problem paying attention to the right thing at the right time and then refocusing our attention to another thing. Um, so I think yeah, the capacity is there. In, but, the, you know, everyone has the capacity to be creative. Um, I guess it's just whether that motivates you or not. People with ADHD, we like things that our brains think are sexy. They produce dopamine. You know, things that are exciting and new, shiny object syndrome. Um, and that might be, uh, you know, it might be playing the ukulele, as I started doing this year. Or it might be painting, as I've also started doing this year. <laughs> or it could be repairing cars or, you know, it could be anything. So I'm not claiming causality, but... Um, most people I know who are neurodivergent are also very creative. Mm, no, thanks for that. Uh, Melissa, do you have a, a question for, uh, for Nicole? I'm sure you have a minute. Oh, <laughs> I, I about, uh, I've started writing things on postcards to try to, um, or index cards to try to limit the uh, questions, but I now have a, a graph that is graphically designed. I also have one, two, three, four, five, lots of arrows, lots of things, connecting things to things, because this is how my brain thinks. Um, I have, okay, I'm trying to decide which question, but I, I if I may quickly, um, so yeah, and exactly, I want to just re-emphasize what Nicole just said here. ADHD people do not have an issue with focus. Here's the problem. It's regulation of that focus. It's like having a million tabs open oftentimes in your head all at the same time. And then your attention gets scattered between those million tabs. Three and of them are playing music. Say that one more time, Nicole. Three of them are playing different music. Yes. And so you pay attention to all. It's beautiful though. And it's beautiful to me. It doesn't torture me so long as I'm allowed to operate and just be, it's not torturous. It's not when it gets painful for my brain, and I describe it as literally painful in my brain, is having to do the mundane tasks. And that literally comes down to brain chemicals, dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, and those brain chemicals because my brain has an issue. It does. And so it literally hurts my head to try to do a mundane task that I'm not excited about, like my taxes. It's really... It is pain physically and mentally painful. So I want to thank you, Nicole, for mentioning that. Um, and I guess my question here is, uh, okay, I've got a big one. Then I'm going to, I mean, you know, I'm going to go with a more direct small one because I've already talked too much and I want to make sure the rest of the audience has time to speak. Um, what would you say to someone that says, quote unquote, everybody has ADHD? No, they don't. Um, and that's pretty much all I'd need to say. No, <laughs> this is something you get a lot. Aren't we all a bit ADHD? No. Aren't we all a bit autistic? No, we are not all a bit autistic. We are not all a bit ADHD. Um, we all have times when we can't focus. We all have times when we get distracted by things. Many people have shiny object syndrome who don't have ADHD. Um, but... The difference is 
for most people, it's not debilitating. For most people, it's not affecting their day-to-day -day functioning. For someone with ADHD, um, particularly people who fit my kind of profile, which is someone who is very bright, didn't necessarily reach their full potential in school, but, you know, was fairly close to the top of the class um, and generally performed well and compensated in lots of ways for the things I struggled with. Um, I've lost my train of thought. Um, yeah. that's an ADHD we're, thing, we're, right? So, yeah. <laughs> I, I got you, I got you, girl. Um, so, you know, it can be easy to think, oh, you know, you're just a little bit, little bit scattered, but, you know, generally clever and aren't lots of us like that. Um, but the thing is you cope until you can't. Um, there is a point for people with ADHD where, for the later diagnosed people, um, whether it's, you know, women having children or approaching menopause and the estrogen levels are changing because that has an effect on dopamine and serotonin and everything else as well. Um, having, getting a promotion at work, um, having a change in your living circumstances, suddenly things that you could manage before you could no longer manage because you've reached the limit of your executive functioning. Um, there is a difference between scrolling through your phone for 20 minutes before you get out of bed in the morning and picking up your phone to look at the weather, um, going onto Facebook, spending 20 minutes on Facebook, putting your phone down, realising you haven't looked at the weather, pick up your phone, look at your Twitter and your email, put your phone down, realising you haven't looked at the weather and you still don't know what to wear today, picking up your phone, looking at the weather app, putting your phone down, realising you've forgotten what the forecast said, picking up your phone again, looking at the weather app again. If you're lucky, you didn't go into Candy Crush first. Oh, my gosh, how many hours are we looking at here? <laughs> well, you've, by this time it's an hour and you're dying for the toilet and you can't get yourself out of bed, you're stuck. You're suffering from inertia and you can't move. Um, yes. That's the difference. That's the difference between, oh, I got a little bit distracted by my phone and I have ADHD. Um, yes. It's, it's about scale. It's about frequency. And it's about how much it is affecting your life. So, you know, I, I cried because my brain was quiet. You know, most people don't have that experience. That is not a normal neurotypical experience. So no, not everyone has ADHD. Mm, that's some interesting points yeah, there, Nicole. We're with uh, Nicole Gosling here, and uh, this is the Roundtable Community Podcast Series uh, produced via the Clubhouse app. Um, you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple and Google and have a look at the uh, roundtable.community website. We're also there. We're discussing neurodiversity uh, with Nicole uh, Gosling, who has uh, some amazing experiences with both on a personal level, uh, family level, and for herself. Um, and for those of you who have any questions 
uh, for Nicole or would like to discuss something or have a, a, a comment uh, who are on the um, Clubhouse app, please put your hand up. We'll be, we'll be um, uh, inviting you all to the stage uh, from now. Um, Nicole, if I can ask uh, one quick question. Uh, as a friend of someone, if you know someone who has one of the conditions, whether it's um, ADHD, bipolar, or um, uh, or Asperger's, or you, we, I mean, the terminology is changing. What are the tips you could give to those family and friends that are in that circle? Ask them what you can do to make, you know, life easier for them, and give them space to ask for help if they need it. Um, for God's sake, don't yell at them when they haven't done something that you were expecting that they should do. Um, if you need to ask them to do something, be precise and specific. Uh, ambiguity is the enemy <laughs> of uh, both ADHDs and autistics. Um, and I'm sure there are other um, neurodiverse groups that also have a problem with that because we want to know all of the details. But why? Why are we, you know, what do you mean? Um, for example, job interview question. Tell me about yourself. Well, I was born in Geelong in 1975. You know, give me parameters. Don't give me a, a massively open-ended question like that. So you could say, tell me about your hobbies or tell me about your past work experience. Um, just, yeah, be open to listening. Um, pay attention to changes in physical state. So it could be that someone's starting to get agitated. Um, if that's the case, it's likely that they are deeply uncomfortable um, and reducing cement, uh, demands, reducing sensory input, things like that can help in that situation, depending on the particular person. Um, but yeah, just ask the question, can I do anything to make this easier for you? Are you okay in this situation? Do you need to stick your headphones on? Um, do you want to pull your hood up on your hoodie? Um, just, yeah, little little things like that can make a massive difference. And under, just understanding, like, if you're working with me, know that you need to send me reminders and actually send me the reminders. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> <laughs> just just little things like that make so much difference. Trying to understand is generally really appreciated. Mm. Oh, thanks for that. Um, we've got Michael Giuliani on stage. Michael, how are you? Um, what's your question or comment for Nicole? Number one, do not do. Number one, do. If somebody were to get started. Hmm. Your thoughts on those comments, Nicole? Um, or, or if you want to put it in start, stop, continue. Day one, someone comes in, start, stop, continue, 
number ones for you. Starting and stopping can be very hard for neurodivergent people. Um, <laughs> so that the start, stop, continue model um, can work well for neurotypicals, but sometimes we need something a little more nuanced. Yes, I found that, um, and actually isn't it, isn't it quite apropos, uh, I forgot to put on my Fitbit, but having timing for certain things, um, being aware of time, because here's the problem. Time blindness is an extremely real thing, especially if I'm interested in what I'm doing. And shouldn't we all, if we're working for a living most of our lives, if we're dedicating our sweat, blood, and tears, shouldn't we be passionate? The problem is that that occurs within the way society has been set up, right, is that we're expected to be in control of that. Simply, I am not. And so I found that wearing my Fitbit, having it remind me that 15 minutes has passed. Because for me, sometimes 15 minutes can seem like nearly a decade, but that'd be exaggerating. So 15 minutes, like, oh, you know, it's probably been, uh, you know, mm, two minutes. No, it's been 15. Um, and sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, that was two hours and it's only been 15 minutes time or actually that's still exaggerating okay like i don't know 45 you know what i mean so it's time blindness is an extremely real thing and so thank you so much michael for bringing up that concept because um that kind of allows space for a conversation to occur between those that um don't have um adhd or other neurodiverse um brains um and to me, like, I love my brain. I wouldn't change it for the world. I am, it's beautiful in there. It's highly creative. It's wonderful. At the same time, the way that society is currently set up, right? And I mean, I'm not seeking to, to change that. I'm just seeking room and space and to carve out my own space within that. So that's why you oftentimes find a lot of ADHDers end up becoming entrepreneurs because we carve out our own space and we do our own thing. So yeah, thank you so much for bringing that up, Michael, and for creating that room for conversation. Well, can I can I elaborate on that in a very sharp contrast? I can give a personal example without doing names, but a very personal example. Yeah, sure, go ahead. So, <clears throat> one of the most brilliant people that I know, ADHD, very strong, uh, acknowledges strengths and weaknesses and everything. We have an opportunity to collaborate, work together in a very sincere thing. I do not um, do not have ADHD. I am down into minutes and seconds. On time is late. Um, almost as opposite as it gets. What could I do different or better to take away the... It's not an excuse, but not being able to set and hit deadlines and then time if, if you enter factories everything is times dates deadlines deliverables outside of reminders how do you what are some tips and tricks to say hey this is a priority we gotta stick to it don't get lost on the b or the c how do you as, as somebody who does not understand that cannot understand that how do you work with somebody that's unbelievably gifted but can't hit dates at times amazing question what can i what can i do with somebody that doesn't understand that can't understand that um because 
I mean, this is tens of millions per month on top line and probably single digits and even up. But the person is ungodly talented, but setting, hitting deadlines consistently, being able to commit, hey, what are you doing Thursday? Well, I don't know. Well, you do know what you're doing Thursday. You have an open mm. calendar. He probably doesn't know what he's calendar. doing Thursday. Because... No, but I'm saying, is it getting them on, <laughs> on a calendar, getting them on, getting yeah. him or her yeah, on I a think... calendar, getting so... them to... Let me, let me ask you a so, question, Michael. Yeah, let Nicole answer because I think she's got question. the perfect answer. Um, so for many people with ADHD, time is now and not now. Planning um, planning happens in the prefrontal cortex of our brains and that is an area that is underserved in ADHD brains. So planning is actually very hard. Um, so it's not just a case of do the thing. It's a case of doing all the little things that you have to do to build up to do the thing. So if I can use a kind of facetious example, having a shower. Um, someone might say, well, it's easy. You just go in the shower and you wash yourself and you get out. But it's not that simple. You get out of bed, you might go to the toilet, you have to find a towel, you have to hang the towel up in the bathroom, not forget it out in the hallway. Um, you have to make sure that you have your shampoo and your soap and, um, you know, whatever else you might need in there, your razor or toothbrush or whatever else you do in the shower. Um, you have to turn on the water taps one at a time. You have to wait until the temperature gets to the right temperature. Now, these are all things that most neurotypical people can do without even considering. But people with executive functioning issues have to go through each of those steps and think through each of those steps. Um, Melissa and Courtney, I'm sure there are times that you, like me, have actually shampooed your hair three or four times because you can't remember if you've done it yet or done it once or twice. Um, so it's, it's like we need to micro plan but at the same time anyone trying to push a micro plan on us that's going to meet resistance um, so it might be you managing your expectations of him and what he's capable of doing it might be you making your expectations very clear to him so that he understands them. It might be setting secondary deadlines. So he has a deadline, which is a week before your deadline, which gives chasing time. Um, you know, that might be inconvenient, but you know, if, if he's brilliant, he might be worth doing that. So it might create some extra work for you. Um, make sure that you are precise and specific in the instructions so he knows exactly what the scope is um, and isn't going to, you know, run off to other places and ideas. Um, but, yeah, the likelihood is he can't tell you what he's doing on Thursday because Thursday's not now. Uh, something my GP asks every single appointment. When I see you in the supermarket in six months, 
what will you be telling me? What do you hope to be telling me? I have no idea. What is six months? What is time? I don't know. I can't think ahead six months. I can't do a five-year plan. I can't do a five-day plan because my brain doesn't work that way. And unfortunately, you know, the business world is set up for people whose brains do work that way. So the best thing you can do is show understanding, ask him what will help him to meet those deadlines. Like what does he need from you? to meet those deadlines. And if it's that you need to put in a second set of deadlines, then, you know, put in a second set of deadlines. Mm. Well, thanks for those insights, Nicole. I, I know it can be very, you have different types of thinking in business as well. Um, and, you know, some of them, particularly as Michael mentioned, manufacturing is very time specific, but from those, the entrepreneurial side of things that Melissa was talking about, you have people that have brain explosions or brain farts, as we sometimes call it. But uh, I'd, I'd be interested to hear Courtney, um, uh, welcome. and then we'll go to uh, Temi, I believe you've also uh, been on stage for a while. Courtney, do you have any questions or thoughts you want to run past um, Nicole? Hello. Um, yeah, well, I actually just wanted to add to, um, uh, like, an uh, answer to Michael, if that's all right. Um, just in regards to, you know, uh, like trying to get the best out of um, your, you know, your employee or the person that you're, you're working with. Uh, look, I mean, if, he's an, if he is uh, an adult and has had uh, has ADHD and, um, you know, has a diagnosis and all that kind of stuff, there's going to be things that work for him um, that he already knows about. Right. So like there might be for me, I, I love to gamify things. So um, if I uh, if I've got a deadline or whatever, um, I'm kind of like, OK, in, so instead of having to like think about all the tiny, tiny little things that I have to do before that thing, um, that freaks me out. Right. So I do like I'll write a massive checklist and maybe for a lot of people that might be really freaking overwhelming. But then what I can do is I'll color code that to make it into like a, a thing where I can then, you know, tick it off and for me that's like that dopamine hit so if you kind of think of um you know uh, i mean i know that this works for a lot of um people with adhd so um yeah gamifying things making it like where's that dopamine hit like i'm not going to do anything i'm not going to think about a fucking deadline sorry i probably shouldn't swear i'm not going to think about a deadline um if uh if it doesn't if i don't really care about it or it's not going to give me the things that i need because our brains need that they need the dopamine to function properly and how i kind of explain it is imagine in your head you've got like four different spin bikes right and you cannot function unless all of those spin bikes are moving so one of them I might have music on um, the other one there might be some like uh, like at the moment on my computer I've got this thing called flow and it's counting down numbers so I can I know you know for that time blindness thing and then another thing it might be okay I've got uh, exactly what I'm doing my task and then there might even be another part where I'm like tapping my foot right so I've got like that um, the stimulant thing. So if I don't have my four spin bikes like adhered to, like if they're not if they're not sorted out, then uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to like do anything really. Um, so yeah, try and game try and gamify, but really ask him what works for you. What do you normally do if you've got something? And one thing might work one day, and another thing might work another. But if you have a better understanding about him. And you ask him, this is, this is not just for you, Mike, this is for everybody. Like if you ask that person and be really curious and go, but why, but why? And it helps them understand. 
right? Like I know that I've had conversations with people that I haven't necessarily known the answer to their question straight up, but by the end of it, by talking to them and by understanding the questions that they want the answers to, I've then be able to, then I've been able to then come up with an answer and I felt better about it too. I've got a better understanding of myself. So really um, gamify and just be curious and ask, um, uh, ask him. But yeah, that's, um, that's me and I'll, I'll Can I dig a little deeper on that with the example, like a very specific time example? Sure, go ahead. <clears throat> so the person runs a practice, uh, probably sees people in 30-minute intervals, goes through 15 minutes, and then 15 minutes with somebody face-to-face, 15 minutes after for a debrief, but sees uh, every 30 minutes, lives between 8 and 5, 30-minute chunks, 15-minute face-to-face, 15-minute debrief without the person. And person makes ungodly amounts of money, very good at what they do. Now, they could handle that. They could put something in an agenda, hit it, no problem. As soon as you get out of that field, but live in that same time interval, like you said, can't plan, can't do this, and I'm struggling with, well, if that's a patient, for example, or, a, or an appointment, never an issue. If it's a task, all over the place, you know, train goes off the rails. And I'm wondering, what's the difference? Is it the excited to meet with the person? Is it because it's the 30 minutes is broken down into some face stuff and there's some back and forth and that's stimulating versus it's the same time chunks. It's the same time of day. Um, it's just different topic. Quickly ask him, ask like that's, it all, all comes back down to that. Like literally just, just ask, but yeah, anyway, sorry. I've butted in. No, I'm not sorry. I have ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think, I think I, I love what you, how you're um, speaking though, that, like your response and, 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 you know, your guidance there and, and things that, that, that could work, but what you're really looking at and I think is like communication, and that is probably the greatest asset. And, and what you just said there, ask the person, have a dialogue, get to know them better. And then when you get to know them better, you'll be able to rise to the challenge and meet them where they need to be met and yeah. where the work needs to be done. There's yes. also, Melissa, I'll go to you in just a minute if I can just jump in. Oh, no, I was going to point it right back to you, actually, because I think you have um, some great things you want to say. <laughs> um, that's completely typical that somebody can operate in an environment which they are passionate about um, to, you know, a higher degree than most people would be able to. But get outside of that and you've used up all your mental energy, you've used up all your executive functioning for the day and you don't have anything left for outside of that. So it might be that, you know, this person hyper-focuses on this role when they're seeing patients um, and and then, you know, getting the thoughts down afterwards and, and doing those things that they're really passionate about, about it. The brain finds it really sexy and it... Um, so the brain provides the capacity to do that. Um, doing things on top of that and outside of that, the capacity to manage time may have run out. 
um, like I don't know if you're familiar with spoon theory. I'm not going to go deep into it, but maybe look it up. They could have run out of mental spoons. Um, Melissa, I think, uh, have you got examples of, you know, people you've worked with that have made it, you know, made it easy for you? I do. Um, I really did want to quickly say, so exactly what Nicole's talking about, I know we, we um, are about to reach the, the top of the hour here for the podcast. Um, uh, what Nicole was talking about too, because they say, I call it my ping pong balls in my brain. This is why I'm able to think so brilliantly, so creatively and connect uh, point, I call it point A to point purple, but I make it make sense. This is why I'm wonderful at branding. This is why I, uh, I can think outside the box in the way I can. Here's what it does though, is it eats up a a lot of brain glucose to think that way. So there's some things out there that you can do. And um, I haven't heard of spoon theory. This is why I love having neurodivergent friends. It makes me so happy because I'm going to look that up right after this. But um, it, things like, I mean, I'm not a doctor, so please consult with your doctor. But, you know, sipping on really highly diluted lemonade, sipping on it can help to keep that brain gl glucose levels up. The other thing I want to mention is routine and the importance of routine within our lives. When our routine gets broken up, Nicole had mentioned at the beginning of this, when big life changes come in, perhaps a changes in where you're living, what you're doing, that disrupts everything. So outside of that routine of the eight to five that you had spoken about, about your colleague, um, that's when the routine changes and it becomes open because every day could be different. So we can do really great if we can master that routine for ourselves um, and really stick to it and have that discipline. And sometimes it does take help to get there because sometimes things are mundane. It does seem like that person must be highly invested, must be highly passionate to keep that same routine every single day. Ain't that fantastic. That's probably why he makes a ton of money. Ain't that wonderful. I also hope to find that for myself as well. But some things that people have done for me to Nicole's question, I know I want to go really quickly because um, Temi's still on stage. Um, but some things that have done for me is, and I found most effective is um, doing at the beginning of the day, Hey, what are the three things you're going to accomplish today? Cause I am right now. Um, I'm inattentive type ADD. Um, I do find after hours, um, and especially late, the later it goes into the evening and the more my brain might tire is when I get more, a little more hyperactive, but I always hyper-focus, but I'm a super space cadet. So that check-in on the, uh, the beginning of the day, what are the three things you're going to accomplish today? And that good job, because we need a shorter interval of here's a task. Woohoo! We're roared. So that's the gamify aspect. We have to have that feedback, that constant feedback, because it's kind of like a machine in our brain for learning. And it helps us to keep performing, keep going, because otherwise then sometimes that, that RSD, that rejection sensory dysphoria comes in, and then you've got a whole other game that Nicole was speaking about earlier. Um, so I want to pass it over to Temi, because I think she, she might have a question for us. But for anyone listening to the replay, I just want to say thank you so much for listening. And Michael, thank you for asking the exact questions well, that I know a thank lot of them you. might have. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. There's a lot more clarity. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah I think Nicole's got something to say. Yeah, I just wanted to say, Michael, um, thank you for wanting to uh, work better with your colleague and um, rather than just, you know, sitting in a place of frustration. Well, why can't you be on time? Um, actually looking to find out more about it. Um, I wish more people would do that. So, yeah, thank you for...
being open to that. I'll just um, tail off this episode of the podcast and we'll roll into overtime, I think, by the looks of it. But uh, this has been the Roundtable Community Podcast Series uh, produced live via the Clubhouse app. You can follow us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts and all other major podcasting platforms. Don't forget, if you are listening to this on the Clubhouse app, smack that greenhouse and you know what to do. Follow us. I think we're we're on our way to a 1,000 followers, so that's fantastic. So we'd like to thank Nicole and also the team uh, from the team of the Roundtable community.